us to 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 will be our text. Our kids will stay with us in worship today. Rather than dismissing them for kids crew, this is the Sunday of the month when they stay with us. So excited to study this together all ages today in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This week there's been a lot of weather and a lot of storms and other things happening across the state. We, of course, have had our fair share, but fortunately we have missed the worst of it. And, and we are mindful of communities like El Reno and northeastern parts of the state that don't get as much news coverage and attention because they're in a different viewing area. But certainly we, uh, we think of and pray for them this morning in light of all that has happened this week with major flooding and tornadoes and all of the spring weather, the things that happen. One of the, one of the counties that you see in central Oklahoma that they'll talk about Logan County. Guthrie is the county seat of Logan County. And uh, like many of our, our different territories, our different counties, you know, there's, there's some historical significance to where Logan County derives its name. Logan County is named after John Alexander Logan. I bet you didn't know this. I'm going to give you a little history lesson this morning. John Alexander Logan, who was a major general in the days of the uh, the Civil War in the 1860s and then later went on to become a senator from the state of Illinois. He unsuccessfully lost a bid to be vice president of the United States also in the uh, in the 1870s as well. And John Logan was one of the one of the instrumental figures, in, in fact, in many ways, was the instrumental figure advocating for what became known as Decoration Day, or as we know it today, Memorial Day. Decoration Day was de- John Logan declared on May the fifth, eighteen sixty-eight, just some years after the Civil War, that that uh, that the U.S. should observe Decoration Day. So they declared May the 30th of that same year to be the first observance of Decoration Day, a day when graves of the fallen in combat would be decorated with flowers. Tradition says that they chose May the 30th because there were no Civil War battles that were, uh, that were fought on May the 30th. Also, because it was widely believed that flowers would be in bloom everywhere by May the 30th. And so that's why that particular date. So from, from the 1860s up until the 1960s, Memorial Day, as it later became called, was observed on May 30th traditionally. And then in the 1960s, the U.S. Congress declared that Memorial Day would happen on the last Monday in the month of May so that it would provide for a federal holiday, a three-day weekend, and that began in 1971, the way that we observe it today. So a little bit of history connected to Oklahoma, Logan County, John Logan, and Memorial Day. And I bring all of that up just to, uh, to connect this morning's text to Memorial Day and because we're going to be talking about a soldier and the way that a good soldier operates according to their orders, according to the command of their, of their enlisting officer. We'll talk about that as we get into the text this morning. But anytime we talk about soldiers and anytime we, we, we think about this, and particularly 
as we think about Memorial Day and soldiers, we're mindful of those who have paid an ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And so we want to take a moment this morning, I want to take a moment just to acknowledge the many who have given their lives for our freedom, who have paid that ultimate price, and, and just say that if you are the family member of or a loved one or friend of someone who has died in combat or died serving our country and our military, we honor them today and want to say to you that we're grateful for your part in their sacrifice and the, the, the ultimate sacrifice that was made for our freedoms. We think about this picture, though, of the soldier. It provides really in many ways an, an ideal metaphor for us to think about our allegiance to our Lord, because this, this, this mindset of us being engaged in a struggle, in a battle, connects us with the reality that there is a spiritual battle. There are spiritual battles, maybe would be more accurate to say, that we are engaged in as believers. There's a spirit realm. There are things happening. We are a part of a spiritual kingdom, and as the forces of God advancing this kingdom, we can we can connect in many ways with the mindset of a soldier who serves their, their country or serves at the request of uh, the command of their officers. And so I want us to think about that. In fact, there are that and two other very useful metaphors offered in this text that we're going to study this morning. And each of these really speaks to the lives that we live as Christians in obedience and command to the call of Christ. And so let's consider these together these three lessons that we learned, which are each rooted in the scripture and our understanding of our identity as followers of Jesus. So let's begin reading 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 3. We'll read through verse 7, and then we'll go back and examine each of these three metaphors in some detail. Paul writes, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Each of these three metaphors, though they're, though they're different, they all are pointing us to a deeper, a richer understanding of our responsibilities as followers of Jesus, how we are to serve the Lord and be faithful to his calling in our lives. Let's connect it to what Paul has already written, the instructions that he's given Timothy up to this point, that Timothy would not be ashamed of the gospel, that he would not be ashamed of his calling, that he would keep the word that was spoken to him the, through the laying on of hands, that he would be faithful to that, to walk in those truths, to guard the deposit that was entrusted to him, and that as a faithful follower of Jesus, that he would be strengthened in the grace that was his according to Christ, to do what the Lord had called him to do. So all of this kind of culminates now to this point where, where Paul uses these metaphors to say, continue on, persevere, endure in the midst of all that you face, like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer. There's probably something in there that we can all can connect to or relate to on some level. He says, we're to, we're to honor the Lord, we're to be faithful to the call. So let's, let's kind of break it down, if you will, by just considering each one of these metaphors individually. First of all, as we consider the, the example of the soldier, we see that we're to maintain a mission mindset 
mindset. That's the key lesson that we learn with this metaphor. That as soldiers of Christ, we're to maintain a mission mindset. We're to stay focused on the mission, the call that we have been given in Christ. Think about, think about this example that's used here of a soldier. Soldiers obey the chain of command. They are responsible to their commanding officers. And so there's a, there's a clear chain of command in any branch of the military where each person understands both who they are responsible to and, if it applies, who is responsible to them. There's a very clear chain of command that is followed and you, followed, and you obey that chain of command. You, you really don't have the option of stepping out and, and being a maverick and doing things on your own. You are bound to, held to, the clear chain chain of command. And so soldiers follow that chain of command. They train for combat. Long before a soldier actually is engaged in combat, they train for that moment. They discipline themselves. They, they study. They work. They, they routinely drill so that in the moment they are prepared. They are ready for the, the scenarios, the situations that might arise. They've drilled for that. They've trained to be ready. And even that has so many levels and layers of application for us as believers, that we should train ourselves, that we should discipline ourselves, that we should prepare ourselves in advance for things that, that we may face along the way. We'll look at a passage of scripture that tells us as much in just a moment. But along this same line, this, this, this picture of a soldier, soldiers sacrifice for the cause. Now, every soldier sacrifices on some level. Some sacrifice what we would consider to be the ultimate price by laying down their life. Others sacrifice time with their family. They sacrifice the many other things that they could. They sacrifice the, the prerogative to be able to go as they wish and do as they wish, that they might be bound to that chain of command, that they might follow their orders and the instructions that are given to them. And soldiers sacrifice. It's a, part of, it's a part of the responsibility, part of the duty of every soldier to sacrifice. And they do it willingly. And so this picture of a soldier teaches us, it communicates so much to us. The New Testament gives us this picture elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, we read this. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Second Corinthians teaches us we're engaged in a spiritual battle. And as soldiers engaged in spiritual struggle, in spiritual struggle, spiritual warfare is the word, we understand that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are, they are of the spirit of God. And they are used to destroy the strongholds of the flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, a different text where Paul has written to Timothy. Paul writes this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made to you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Again, the picture there is of warfare, of battle. There's a spiritual struggle that we are engaged in. And as followers of Christ, we are responsible to him as our commanding authority, if you will, as our, as our general, as the one who is giving us our marching orders, so to speak. And so 
Paul writes in this passage to Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's what he says in verse four. Soldiers aren't encumbered by civilian pursuits. Frankly, they don't have the luxury. Their, their brothers in arms are dependent upon the fact that, that they would do what they are responsible for, that they would observe the chain of command, that they would follow their orders. They would handle their part of the struggle of the conflict in order that the objective ultimately could be accomplished. Each piece working together like a band of brothers, as that term is used, they link arms, they work together to accomplish the mission, the objective. And when we consider that on a spiritual level, it's so informative, so instructive to us. Christ is our commanding officer, so to speak. He is the one who is giving us our directive, our objective. Literally, he's the one who sets the mission. So we refer to that as the missio dei. It's the mission of God. It's the understanding that as followers of Christ, we are engaged in accomplishing the mission of God, that we would take the gospel to people everywhere. That's why Jesus tells his disciples in the text that we refer to as the Great Commission, that they're to go into all the world and that they're to make disciples of all nations, that they're to teach what Jesus had instructed them and they're to baptize believers and that they're to continue in this this. this this task to the end of the age, Jesus instructs them. They're to, they're to go. It's the mission that has been given to us, the commission, if you will, that has been entrusted to us. And when we think along those lines, when we focus on the mission and maintaining this mission mindset, we understand that the mission that we are engaged in is worth the sacrifice. Everything that we might sacrifice in the way that every soldier makes sacrifices, everything that we might sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of our mission, for the sake of the cause of Christ is worth it. Everything, all the sacrifices that we make, all of the things that we might give up in order that the kingdom might advance, the mission is worth the sacrifice. So Paul instructs Timothy, continue on as a good soldier. But the second metaphor that he uses here is the metaphor of an athlete. Some of us can identify with the, the, the metaphor of a soldier because perhaps either because you have served in the military in some way or, uh, or, or someone that you, that you love, a friend, a family member, someone that's close to you, and, and so you, you have that connection to a soldier. But I suppose probably many more of us can relate at least on a personal level to the idea of an athlete, the metaphor of an athlete, because probably in some form or another, nearly all of us, if not all of us, have participated in some kind of athletics in our lifetime. Now, you, you may have not competed at uh, the high level, even if it was just recreationally. We've all, we've all played sport, or at least for the most part, we've all, we, 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 probably most of us have played or participated in some form of athletic competition, some form of sport. And so we can understand what Paul is speaking of here because we can relate to this on a personal level. And, and this metaphor of the athlete teaches us that we're to compete with character for the crown. We, in the metaphor of the soldier, we see that we're to maintain a mission mindset. The metaphor of the athlete teaches us that we're to compete with character for the crown. And so he writes 
that an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes are bound to the rules, the rules of the game, the rules that, that, that make things happen, so to speak, in, in, a, in an orderly, in a fair way, according to their competitions. And so we're to compete with character, compete according to the rules, as it were, for the crown. Now, we understand that the crown here is, is really a, a metaphor in and of itself, for the things of Christ, the, the crown, as it were, of Christ. The, the, the crown is the prize. It is ultimately that thing that we strive toward. We think about what athletes do. First of all, athletes train for their competition, much the same way that we saw that a soldier trains, a soldier drills for battle. An athlete trains for competition. So they discipline themselves. They, they put in the hours of work. They, they, they build up their endurance. They, they work on the specific drill or the specific skills or, or as it were, the, what, whatever the, the physical tools might be needed to compete in their sport. Maybe it's their, you know, a basketball player works on their shot. A baseball player works on their swing. A football player works on, on their form. And, and, and in any sport, runners work on their running form. They push themselves in their time. Whatever the sport might be, we can, we can relate to this idea of training, of working, of discipline that goes into competition. Long before competition takes place, athletes are training and preparing for that moment. Athletes comply with the rules of the game. In fact, if, we, if athletes don't follow the rules, then, then the game f- breaks down, really. It doesn't work if they don't stay in bounds, if they don't participate according to the rules. In most sports, there's some form of penalty, some form of, of, of discipline for those who break the rules of the game, break the rules of engagement. In the Greek games, which, of course, Paul is writing this in the time of Roman rule, but even in the time of Roman rule, the Greek games were still an annual practice. They They were a real spectacle that continued in competition well into the time of Roman rule and the Roman Empire. And in the Greek games, there were three primary rules that an athlete had to comply with. First of all, to participate in the Greek games, an athlete had to be Greek-born. They had to be born a true Greek, a, of, of pure Greek descendants. Secondly, in order to participate in the Greek games, an athlete had to swear an oath before the statue of Zeus, Zeus that they had trained for a minimum of 10 months in preparation for the Greek games. And then third... They had to comply with the rules of the competition itself. So whatever the rules for the race or the other sport that they might be, there were these primary rules. And and the point is just simply an athlete has to follow the rules of competition in order to win the prize, in order to win the crown. So athletes train for competition. They comply with the rules of the game. Ultimately, an athlete competes to win. An athlete disciplines themselves. They train in order that they might win the game. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is a passage that speaks of an athlete and and makes this comparison to our spiritual lives. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying, I discipline myself to compete according to the rules, as it were, the rules of engagement, the rules of the sport, the, the rules that we are called to, like a, like a runner running the race, like a boxer engaged in their competition, Paul says. I follow the rules. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. First, Timothy, again, Paul has written elsewhere to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so elsewhere in the New Testament, we see this metaphor used of an athlete competing according to the rules, competing for the prize. And the point is quite plain, really. That in order to obtain the prize, which is ultimately one of godliness, we must compete according to the rules. We must discipline ourselves. We must train. We must follow. We must compete with character for the crown. Every athlete knows that the crown, the prize, whatever you might think of it as, the trophy, the medal, victory, that the crown is worth all the sweat spent, all the time in training, all the hours of discipline are, are worth it for that moment of victory, for that moment, that ultimate moment that an athlete tastes. And so they compete with character for the crown. The third metaphor that Paul uses is that of a farmer. The farmer, he says, is hardworking. Verse six, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Farmers have to be hardworking, frankly, or they don't make it, or they don't survive, right? The, the, the idea of farming is tied intrinsically to hard work. And so what this metaphor of the farmer teaches us is that we're to work hard for the harvest. Think about this example of farmers. Farmers sow according to the proper season. A farmer has to put his seed in the ground at the right time in order for the crops to produce abundantly. So they sow according to the proper season. There's, there's a matter of timing. There's a matter of understanding. There's, there, there's all of the work that goes into preparing the fields and sowing the seeds. But not only do they sow the seed according to the proper season, farmers work with discipline and diligence all along the way. Between the time that the seed is sown and the harvest is prepared, Farmers work diligently with discipline. It's a daily thing. There's daily work, daily struggle, daily things that need to be done to tend to ultimately the harvest. And then when that moment arrives, farmers harvest according to God's provision. Every farmer knows that, that ultimately the harvest itself is beyond their control. They are dependent upon forces bigger than themselves. They are dependent upon God and his provision. They can, they can sow the seed at the right time. They can diligently tend to their crops, but there are forces in nature and other things beyond a farmer's control. It ultimately is dependent upon God to provide for the harvest. And so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's telling them about his mission. He's telling them that he's sending them out as laborers into the harvest. The harvest, of course, being a, its own metaphor for the things of God. 
And Jesus says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Every farmer knows that the harvest is worth the hours of hard labor. Ultimately, when the harvest comes in, the harvest itself is worth the hard work. It's worth the hours of hard labor. But then Paul goes a step further in verse 7, and he writes this, Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is his instruction. After using these three metaphors, after instructing Timothy in this way, then Paul says, Timothy, think on these things. Reflect on these truths. Think about this because clearly these are metaphors that Paul is using to connect to deeper spiritual truths, deeper spiritual realities. And he's saying, Timothy, You need to think on these things, reflect on these things in order that you might live like a good soldier, in order that you might live like an athlete who competes according to the rules for the crown, in order that you might live like the hardworking farmer who works diligently toward the harvest. And so let's do the same this morning. Let's let's apply these same truths to our lives because each one of us, like Timothy, face a spiritual reality. Not only is there the physical world that we live in and the physical realities around us, but there's a spiritual reality that we're engaged in as believers, as followers of Christ as well. And so we, we must be mindful of these lessons that we learn from these metaphors. First of all, Like a good soldier, we need to maintain a mission mindset. We need to make the mission of God primary in our lives. It it should be our primary motivation that we are working to build God's kingdom, every one of us, so that no matter what your profession may be, no matter what your, your job might be, so to speak, the thing that you get up every day and the thing that you do to earn a paycheck, we, we understand that really it's the mission of God that drives us as the people of God. And that whatever occupation you may have, whatever role you may have in your family, in your community, in the, in the greater world around us, that really in, in spiritual terms, your job is to accomplish the mission of God like a good soldier. And so whatever other means God has made available to you, whatever other roles or responsibilities you, you have in life, ultimately those serve as a platform, as a, really as a, as a missional front for your ultimate calling in Christ. You are a missionary called to a mission. And so we maintain a mission mindset. When, when times are difficult, when things go hard, when we face trials, we endure through those, understanding that the mission is worth the sacrifice. Not only do we maintain a mission mindset, we're called to compete with character for the crown. There are a lot of things that we might do that would propel or advance our cause that really are unethical or underhanded in some way. So it's not just understanding that, that we do whatever it takes. It's understanding that we do what it takes in the right way, that we, that we compete with character or that the things that we do, again, let's connect these to spiritual truths, the things that we do to win spiritual victories, to advance the kingdom of God, that we do these things with character. It's not just the ends that matter, but the means as well, that we compete with character, that we, that we strive, that we labor for the kingdom of God 
with character, knowing that the prize, the crown that awaits, the spiritual victory that is there is worth every ounce of sweat spent. And so let's compete with character. Let's discipline ourselves. Let's train ourselves. Let's heed the word of Paul that we would discipline ourselves for godliness, understanding that physical training is of some value, but that godliness is of value in every way. So let's be godly. Let's discipline ourselves in that way that we might compete like an athlete who has character, who's chasing after that crown. And then the third metaphor, of course, is that of the farmer. Like the farmer, let's work hard for the harvest, understanding that we must sow in the proper season. We must work diligently with discipline day after day. We must do the right things in the right way. And it, frankly, it's a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes, it takes a lot of diligence to pursue those things. But knowing that the harvest itself is worth all of the hard work, every ounce of hard work and hard labor that we spend. And of course, the harvest in this sense is, is harvest of souls, as Jesus points to his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. The harvest that we reap is a spiritual harvest. When people see and believe the goodness of Jesus made available by his death on the cross, when they understand the gospel. This is the harvest that we work for. And we understand that that harvest is worth every ounce of hard labor spent to see his kingdom come, to see the things of God come to fruition in our lives. What great metaphors these are that instruct us, that we maintain a mission mindset, that we compete with character, that we work hard for the harvest in the kingdom of God. My prayer is today that as we reflect on these truths, we might be humble in our obedience. Think about your life. Which one of these metaphors speaks the most clearly to you? Is it that of the soldier? Is it that of the athlete? Perhaps that of the farmer? Which one of these is God using? Does he want to use even this morning? to instruct you in your obedience to Christ, to lead you to continue the mission that God has called you to compete, to work, to discipline, to train, to give all that you have, to labor for the harvest, knowing that the harvest is worth the work that we spend. In what way is God wanting to use this in your life today? Like Paul writes to Timothy here, I would say, think over these things. Think over what Paul has said. Reflect on these truths and allow God to use them to instruct you, to lead you in your response to him this morning. In a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And in our time of response, in our moment of invitation today, our altar will be open. We would invite you that you would respond. Maybe God is directing you in some, in some very specific way. Perhaps he's using the illustration of the soldier to say to you, look, here's a sacrifice that I need you to be willing to make. Perhaps it's the, the metaphor of the athlete. And the Lord is saying, there are rules of engagement. There are, there are things that I want you to pursue with character, pursuing this crown. Perhaps it's that of the farmer. The Lord is saying, I want you to work hard for the harvest. How is God using this this morning? to instruct you, would you be willing to respond in obedience to him, maintaining a mission mindset, competing with character for the crown, working hard for the harvest that the Lord will produce? 
In whatever way he's leading you, I pray that you would respond in obedience to him in a moment. And let me say this. None of this is possible apart from the work of Christ. You see, the only way that we can, the only way that we can make the sacrifices necessary to pursue the kingdom of God is when we understand our place in the kingdom of God by faith. The only way that we can compete with character for the crown is knowing that ultimately Jesus is the crown, that he is the prize that we pursue and that we surrender our lives to him. The only way that we can work for and labor toward this harvest of souls is if we become workers unto the harvest the way that Jesus speaks of, that we would surrender our lives to him, that we would be sent out by him into the world that he loves to accomplish his kingdom work. We must first respond by faith to Jesus and then we continue to respond as we follow his instruction, as we discipline ourselves, as we train, as we work for his kingdom. I pray that we would be willing to respond in faithful and humble obedience to him today. Would you join me now in a word of prayer as we prepare, as we prepare for our response to him? Lord, as we respond this morning in obedience to this word, I pray that you would use these metaphors to instruct us, to lead us whether it is one in particular or perhaps some combination of each of them that you use to instruct us, Lord, use it this morning that we, might, that we might go further, that we might strive all the more to see your kingdom work done, to accomplish your mission, that the harvest of souls will be reached and your kingdom would advance in our lives, Lord. We want to respond in obedience to you. We want to follow your call, your direction for our lives. And so lead us now as we respond by faith to you. We pray this in your name.